everybody, what's up? Welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. My name is Chris White. It's good to be back with you today. Uh, we did take the week off last week. I was in Orlando, Florida, getting some interviews for the Pre-Wrath Rapture documentary. So that took up a lot of time. And the next couple weeks are sort of in the air, too. Of course, we have Christmas next week. I am doing some traveling with that. And then the first or rather the second week in January, I'll be getting another interview. So doing some traveling there as well. So I don't know exactly what that means for the podcast schedule, but it will be a little bit uh, uh, sporadic here the next few weeks at the very least. That being said, I'm really excited about this podcast. In, in a lot of ways, I consider it sort of the main thing I want to be doing uh, other than the Pre-Wrath uh, film project. So I want to expand it. I want to do some interviews. I want to do debates even. I've got some ideas on that, which I'll discuss in future podcasts. But basically, I really want to put a lot of time, energy, and effort into this podcast. So thanks to everybody who has subscribed to the feed over there at BibleProphecyTalk.com. Okay, so today I wanted to talk about the Day of the Lord and specifically the precursors to the Day of the Lord, those things that the Bible says must happen before the Day of the Lord, and how that relates to the timing of the rapture debate, what's been happening in that debate on this topic in recent years, and I think it's a really interesting topic. So just a real quick cliff notes on what the Day of the Lord is. It's a topic that is all throughout the Old Testament uh, and in the New Testament. It basically is a time in which God intervenes uh, to, to judge is the primary example. There are good things that happen as a result of the day of the Lord. That is, uh, you know, Israel is reconciled. There's blessings and things associated with uh, the day of the Lord having happened. And a lot of commentators will divide this day of the Lord concept into two kind of concepts. One, there can be days of the Lord in which God intervenes and judges in a sort of near interpretation, that is to say with the Babylonians or the Assyrians or something like that. And then there is the eschatological day of the Lord, which is also a very consistent theme. And whenever it appears in the Bible, it's usually pretty obvious that this is talking about the end times day of the Lord, which is the time in which God will judge the wicked. He alone will be exalted. He will, uh, he will basically pour out his wrath upon uh, those on earth that deserve it culminating, of course, in uh, this uh, time of, of blessing where he rules on the throne, etc., etc. The Bible is full of rich themes about the day of the Lord. The minor prophets are almost all talking about the day of the Lord in some way or another, uh, but the day of the Lord uh, is associated with things like the, the sun, moon, and star signs. The celestial disturbance are mentioned several times by many different prophets. The trumpet uh, that Paul uses later in the New Testament is a reference to the day of the Lord trumpet. Some of the minor prophets talked about the trumpet would be associated with the beginning of the day of the Lord. And just a little bit of clarification on that, I know a lot of people think that has to do with the feast of trumpets, but really... It's the numbers trumpets. The silver trumpets in numbers are what became associated with the day of the Lord in the later prophets. And the reason is actually a part of this uh, day of the Lord theme. The silver trumpets, there were supposed to be a couple trumpet blasts. One was to gather all the tribes together to go to battle. But one was to to essentially call God to battle against uh uh, their enemies to, to battle on their behalf. It was this concept that became associated with the last, that is to say the eschaton trumpet that Paul references in association with obviously the day of the Lord. Uh, so, and that is of course what the day of the Lord is God going to battle uh, against the enemies of his people and on their behalf and for his glory. 
In the New Testament, it's basically the exact same themes. We see the trumpet and the celestial disturbance sign that both precede it, but we also see uh, that it is a time of God's wrath in the end times against the wicked. All those things are very consistent from the Old Testament to the New Testament. There is, I'm not going to say a new theme, because really you can see this in the prophets as well, but it's also associated with the resurrection. It's associated with the end of Christian's Work. It's the day Paul consistently refers to as the day when, when he expects to get his rewards, that he tells us we will get our rewards is on that day, the day of Christ, the day of the Lord. So it's very confusing to some people that don't get this part of it, uh, that it's both the day that we are looking forward to. And it's the day that everybody else should not be looking forward to. It's like uh, one they, they happen back to back. And that's a, going to be an important part of this discussion as we move forward. And I'll go into more of those details and proof texts. But uh, that's essentially what the day of the Lord is in the New Testament. Historically, people that teach the pre-wrath position on the rapture have made a really big deal about the day of the Lord theology. A lot of their books and presentations will start off talking about what the day of the Lord is and um, all these different things about it that some of which we've just briefly covered. And I want to stress that it's not because pre-wrath proponents are trying to get you to believe some weird version of the day of the Lord and thereby get you to believe the pre-wrath position. The pre-wrath position on the day of the Lord is very structurally solid. You can find numerous examples of theologians from all different walks of life that have spent their entire careers on the theology of the day of the Lord that come up with a mirror image of the pre-wrath version of the day of the Lord. I'm not going to say that there are no minor uh, debates about it, but usually the minor debates about the the, the day of the Lord with pre-wrath are about those little bits that are, are not good for the pre-trib position. I used to think that the reason that pre-wrath spent so much uh, uh, time and energy on the day of the Lord theology was mostly because of what I call Joel's road that is taking them from Joel 2.31 when it shows that the celestial disturbances are a precursor, that they happen before the day of the Lord, and then showing them Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, Revelation 6, and the placement of that exact same sign, which turns into contextually before and after. You can look in both of those passages, this perfect symphony of scripture that shows that the wrath of God happens after that point, which is consistent, of course, with the day of the Lord and uh, uh, stuff. I used to think that it was just about that. But the more I look at it, the more that day of the Lord theology is this Swiss army knife of eschatology. Because the day of the Lord is so intricately linked to all aspects of uh, the end times that you start to see these themes everywhere. It just kind of opens up. And I really think that the Old Testament believers... When they heard about the day of the Lord, uh, it was kind of like telling somebody these days about the book of Revelation or the four horsemen of the apocalypse or the beast or any of these, the mystery of Babylon and all these concepts that we we talk about and sort of integrate into our end times uh, uh, beliefs. That was the day of the Lord for them. So when uh, Jesus talked about the celestial disturbance sign in relationship to his parousia, that was as good as saying this is the beginning and that's when the day of the Lord starts. Or when Paul speaks of the last trumpet, his readers would have understood it in the same way that if he was referencing the four horsemen of the apocalypse. But anyway, so a recap is that this debate is really about this last seven year period and when 
the day of the Lord begins, because both pre-wrathers and pre-tribbers would agree that the wrath of God is basically the same thing as saying the day of the Lord. They agree that the day of the Lord is the wrath of God. So when does the day of the Lord start in relationship to the last seven-year period? The pre-tribulationalists have held the view that the entire seven-year period is the wrath of God. The entire seven-year period is the day of the Lord. And since, of course, uh, we both agree that we are raptured before the wrath of God, the day of the Lord begins, they would say that we're raptured the day before, essentially, the seven-year period begin. That has been the historical and really still the majority view of pre-tribulationalism is that the rapture happens essentially that first day or the day before the seven-year period begins. They recognize that there is a back-to-back uh, one thing happens and then on the same day the other thing happens. And there's a good reason for that, which we'll come back to later because it ultimately will be a refutation of some of the later arguments. So they've recognized that. Pre-Wrath, of course, believes that the day of the Lord begins at some point after the midpoint because they can show all these precursors. There's lots of precursors, which we're about to talk about, that all point to the midpoint. In other words, that at some point after the midpoint, the Bible says the day of the Lord begins. So when I talk about precursors to the day of the Lord, meaning things that the Bible says happened before the day of the Lord, and I'm going to list a big list of those things that the Bible says things that happened before the day of the Lord. The reason that's a problem for pre-tribulationalists is if the rapture is back to back with the day of the Lord, it's the first event and then the, and then the day of the Lord happens. If you're saying that things have to happen before the day of the Lord, you might as well be saying these are things that have to happen before the rapture, because really there's no separation. It's the rapture and then the day of the Lord begins on the same day. So if I say there are things that happen before the day of the Lord, I'm essentially saying there are things that ha- happen before the rapture. And of course, in pre-tribulationalism, that is a big no-no. They have what we've come to term the the phantom doctrine of imminence, the view that no prophesied events must occur before the rapture. That is to say that the rapture uh, can occur at any moment. And of course, if there are precursors to the day of the Lord, then imminence is not true, and therefore pre-tribulationalism is not true. Another big problem is that this view that pre-wrath is pointing out, uh, which is to say that the day of the Lord doesn't start until after the midpoint, is again extremely unacceptable to the pre-tribulational position because it would mean that the rapture doesn't happen until after the Antichrist persecutes Christians. Um, And so that is, again, unacceptable to the preacher position. So now they're in a bit of a, a pickle. But before we get to that, let's describe some of these precursors. So let's start off with one of these pretty much uncontested precursors, which is that Elijah will be a forerunner of the day of the Lord. He will come before the day of the Lord. This is seen in Malachi 4.5, pretty much the last word of the Old Testament is saying that Elijah will be sent before the day of the Lord. We know from the New Testament, from the Lord himself, that uh, John the Baptist was a type of Elijah, but that there is also a future fulfillment of uh, of this in the in in the future. That is to say that Elijah himself or another type of Elijah will come back before the return of Christ. Interestingly, the majority view has typically seen the two witnesses found in the book of Revelation as at least one of those being Elijah. This is in part because of the miracles that they are said to perform mirror the miracles of Elijah. Interestingly, I would also say that's also true of the false prophet, which I would say is uh, not by accident. The false prophet, in my view, is almost certainly pretending to be Elijah so that he can seem to be a precursor for the false messiah. 
But nevertheless, one of the two witnesses being Elijah is a pretty, uh, pretty majority view among evangelicals. And one of the interesting themes that we're going to see develop here is that all of these precursors have explicit references to the midpoint. In the case of the two witnesses, the majority view of their the, the timing of their ministry is is certainly associated with a three and a half year period. Um, but the majority view is that that period begins with the 70th week and ends at the midpoint where they are killed by the Antichrist, probably as a result of the inception of the Great Tribulation. They are then raised by God three and a half uh, days later. But the point is that Elijah will be sent before the day of the Lord. The pre-wrath view is that the day of the Lord occurs at some unknown point after the midpoint. And this would be uh, very consistent with that view. It would not, however, be consistent with the pre-trib view because Elijah being sent before the day of the Lord would have had to be well before uh, the 70th week began. Another one which we've talked a lot about is Joel 2.31. It's a precursor to the day of the Lord. Unambiguously, it says before the day of the Lord, this sign will happen there in Joel 2.31. But it's interesting that that is such a consistent theme with that sign contextually all throughout the Bible in the Old and New Testament. What I mean is that when you see that particular celestial disturbance sign, all those elements combined, you see the wrath of God happening after them. In, in some cases, quite explicitly, like Revelation 6, where it says, after seeing that sign, the wrath of God has come, uh, or right before that sign in the same uh, chapter, it's, or the, the chapter before it, it says, when will you judge, O Lord? So the wrath of God has not happened, and then it explicitly has happened after that sign. Uh, we see that in the in the Olivet Discourse, and especially in the Old Testament prophets, though Joel 2.31 is the only one that says, before the day of the Lord, this one will happen explicitly. The others show that contextually. When you see that sign, you can see that either the wrath of God is being described or happening after that sign. It's a very consistent uh, theme with that sign. So that's another precursor to the day of the Lord. Some other precursors, and by the way, I'm getting this from a pre-tribulational scholar right now. I'm So far, I have read only things that a pre-tribulational scholar has agreed are precursors to the day of the Lord. And he's an interesting guy in himself, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But another one is in 2 Thessalonians 2. Now, this is interesting because Paul is explicitly talking about the day of the Lord in 2 Thessalonians 2. And pre-tribbers kind of box themselves in a little bit because while he's also in verse 1, obviously talking about the rapture. He's talking about the parousia. He's talking about the episynagoge. These are words clearly associated with the rapture. And most good pre-trib scholars like Craig Blazing will uh, not contest that. John Walver doesn't contest that. But modern pre-trib scholars have sort of had to monkey around with that, trying to find a way for he, him to just refer to the day of the Lord. Obviously, Paul is Paul's theology, which is easily provable, his his day of the Lord is the rapture. His day of the Lord, it's the first event uh, of the day of the Lord is the rapture. That's thats how you resolve that. And most people historically have believed that, but we're starting to monkey around with it. My point is that they at least, the pre-tribbers all at least admit that he's talking about the day of the Lord here when he says that there are two precursors to it. Namely, there is an apostasy or rebellion and that the man of sin, the Antichrist, is revealed. These are two things that Paul says very clearly happen proton or protos, the Greek word meaning first, before the day of the Lord, which is how all these translations translate it for really good reason. It's just, there's just no way around this proton, protos, unless you start 
uh, doing uh, funny things, which we've talked about in other podcasts. A quick sidebar here is that I think this is one of those things about the Bible that make you really rejoice, that make you think this is just a supernatural document, uh, that if you did this study about, hey, what are all the explicit references to things that happened before the day of the Lord in the Bible? And you find them, you find your Joel 2.31s and your Malachi 4.5s, uh, and you're like, wow, these things happened before the day of the Lord. And then you find out that every one of those things has another explicit reference to somewhere else in the Bible to it being near or associated with after the midpoint. That's just not a coincidence that you have verses that say that this Malachi things happens in direct, it mentions the three and a half year period. Same thing with the celestial disturbance sign. We have explicit reference to it being after the abomination of desolation, which is, of course, after the midpoint, and with the revealing of the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians 2, the apocalypto of the Antichrist, which I think most people understand to be the revealing apocalypto of the Antichrist in the temple declaring himself to be God, which, of course, is at the midpoint. So to have all these before the day of the Lord study match up exactly with the after the midpoint study is in itself pretty awesome. Of course, if you're a pre-tribber, it is not so awesome. There are actually a longer list of things that I think you can absolutely prove are before the day of the Lord. But again, as pre-rathers, we tend to, to fight with one arm tied behind our back. In this case, I think you can definitely prove that the, the laundry list of signs that were given to us by the Lord of the Olivet Discourse are all things that happened before the day of the Lord. Uh, obviously, he mentions the, the star sign, the sun, moon, and star sign at the end of that discourse. So therefore, all the things that he told us to watch and look for were, of course, signs before the day of the Lord. Wars and rumors of wars, famines, false Christs, uh, the abomination of desolation, the great tribulation, uh, persecution, the bro uh, brothers and sisters, uh, you know, turning each other in, the apostasy, basically, and all the stuff that comes before that. So, and and I would actually submit another one um, that I heard from Dave Rosenthal this uh, last week uh, as I interviewed him. He said that Zephaniah 1.10, is it? That says that there's silence in heaven. Be silent before the sovereign Lord for the day of the Lord is near. And he quotes, quotes that right after you see the celestial disturbance sign in Revelation 6. The next thing, what is there? There's silence in heaven for what is it, half an hour, there's a certain period of time that there's silence in heaven. So he he would also submit that that is a, uh, a precursor. It's a little less clear. I, I tend to think it's right, but uh, it's it's certainly not as uh, open and shut of a case. But all that to say that there those are the basic precursors to the day of the Lord. I find that it's a really interesting discussion about what pre-tribbers have done about this. And the short answer to that is virtually nothing. Um, and that is even more interesting when you consider that their um, original view on this and still the majority view from pre-tribulationalists is the same thing as the pre-wrath position, at least in that they both agree that the rapture happens and then the day of the Lord starts. They are inseparable back-to-back -back events occurring on the same day. Rapture happens, then the wrath of God starts that same day. That has been the historical view of pre-tribulationalism. The only difference is that pre-tribbers see uh, the entire seven years being the wrath of God, therefore the rapture happening at the very day that seven years starts, and, and the pre-wrath believes that the wrath of God starts at some point after the midpoint. So they disagree on that. The length of the day of the Lord, but the fact that the rapture happens and then the day of the Lord starts is agreed upon. That's been their position. Now, everything that I just mentioned, which they would also agree is good day of the Lord theology, is antithetical to their pre-trib position, right? That, that there are no, eminence says that there are no prophetic events that must occur before the rapture. 
And then when you plug in this day of the Lord theology, that there are events that occur before the day of the Lord, you would expect to see reams of, of paper and, and, and lots of ink spilled on this topic from pre-tribulationalists, but there really just is almost nothing about it. It's as, it's as if they never even felt that they had to deal with it. Because really, they didn't have to, because post-tribulationalism has a completely different sort of thing that doesn't really deal with this as much. So they really haven't felt threatened by the issue. And interestingly, when they do theology on the day of the Lord, they come to basically the same conclusions we did. So it's not like the problem doesn't exist in their day of the Lord theology. It's just that they haven't felt the need to talk about it. When you look up this this topic, precursors to the day of the Lord, like Joel 2.31 slash rapture, like do some Google searches and stuff, you'll find that this is almost entirely currently in the discussion of the pre-wrath rapture. It's almost as if they haven't felt the need to discuss this or, or write about it until the pre-wrath rapture came out, although that's not exactly true because there is a really good pre-trib scholar named Dr. Richard Mayhew who wrote a paper about this in 1981 who clearly saw all of this, everything I just read about those precursors of the day of the Lord, he saw all of it, recognized it as a major problem for pre-tribulationalism and came up with another theory about it. He just did that on his own just having seen the problem. But other than him, there's almost no information until recently when the voices of the pre-rathers have gotten louder and said, hey, you guys got a big problem here. What is your answer to these problems? All right, so let's look at the options that the modern pre-tribber has proposed to deal with this uh, problem of precursors of the day of the Lord. And as far as I see it, there are only three options for the modern pre-tribber. The first one is really the people that can't see the forest for the trees, that don't really understand the, the length and breadth of this problem and are just confronted with one particular issue. Maybe it's 2 Thessalonians 2. You know, Paul says that there are two events before the day of the Lord and their argumentation can go any number of ways. As we've seen in other podcasts, their, their explanations for that are like snowflakes. No two pre-tribbers are alike. But basically, it comes down to some variation of Paul didn't mean that there are really two events that happen before the day of the Lord. And this is similar depending on if you present to them the Joel 2.31 problem. It will ultimately come down to something like, Joel didn't really mean that there are uh, events before the day of the Lord. These are the kinds of things that you get, but they don't really realize the height of the mountain before them. It's not just about those two things. You can't get away from me. You have to have an individual argument of saying that he didn't really mean that. And you have to do that at least five times with five different proof, proof texts. And then you've got all these contextual problems with Revelation 6, for example, showing the, the clear picture of no wrath happening, signs happening, then wrath happening. A lot of stuff has to be dealt with. But basically, this first option for the pre-tribber is just to deny that it exists. The second option for the pre-tribber is the one that Dr. Richard Mayhew takes. And the paper that he wrote on this called The Bible's Watchword, Day of the Lord, which he originally posted in uh, 1981, I think, but was uh, updated in 2011, basically does what we did at the first part of this podcast, goes through what the day of the Lord is, that there are in fact precursors. He doesn't deny these precursors. Basically, he uh, agrees with our view of the day of the Lord in almost every respect. What he does differently is he still calls the entire seven-year period the tribulation. So he's still in that camp. He is a pre-tribulationalist after all. So he still has the rapture at the beginning of that seven-year period. But he just says that the day of the Lord doesn't start until sometime after the midpoint. 
Okay, so he is just creating a gap, and this has sort of come to be known, at least among pre-Rathers, as the gap theory of the rapture. In, in other words, that the rapture and the day of the Lord are no longer linked, that there can be as many things happening before the day of the Lord, and like lots of signs and whatever, there are certainly signs before the day of the Lord, but there are no signs before the rapture. So they get to retain eminence by having the rapture still be at that beginning of the seven-year period. But then they get to include all the good theology about the day of the Lord and have it start at some unknown point after the midpoint. So I would say that this gap theory from Mayhew is the pre-tribber's best option. For the pre-tribber that gets this problem, this is the best direction that they can go, in my opinion. Although it's not a very good direction, and it's refuted by the same kind of arguments that they used to make when they used to believe, uh, before they knew they had this problem, that the rapture and the day of the Lord were back-to-back in separate events. That is to say that the rapture initiates the day of the Lord. Those arguments include things like the way that the day of the Lord is referred to as the rapture in the New Testament several times, as well as also being the day in which the judgment occurs. In other words, the back-to-back nature of it, but also the explicit back-to-back same-day language in the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus makes clear that these events happen on the same day. These are the kinds of arguments that you would use to say that there are or there is no gap uh, between the rapture and the day of the Lord. So let me show you a little bit of what I mean by this. Um, I did a study once where I just went through all the references to the day of the Lord in the New Testament. And some of these are explicit. They say the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is another one. Uh, but others are a little less uh, explicit, at least in the English, uh, where it'll say the day of the Lord Jesus or the day of the Lord Jesus Christ or the day of Christ. But generally, theologians recognize all of these to be a reference to the day of the Lord. Now, I went through about, uh, I guess there are about 12 of them here and just wrote down what the definition of that day was in context. And this is the conclusion of that study. The day of the Lord in the New Testament is explicitly the rapture of the church. It is the day that Christians look forward to. It is the day in which Christians get rewarded for their labor. It is the day, it is the Christian's last day of work on earth. There's several uh, verses that talk about, uh, you know, our work will finally be done on the day of the Lord. It is uh, also a day of judgment on everyone else. So that's why in several passages, at least three off the top of my head are spoken of exactly in two different ways. It is the day that is good for us and bad for them. Let me give you an example of that. So let's start off in 2 Peter 3, where it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So he's talking about, you know, the forbearance of God uh, in bringing his judgment. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in heat. But in keeping with your promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and new earth, the home of righteousness. This idea of it being good for us and bad for them, it's also uh, seen in, in Luke, in Luke's uh, all of a discourse where he is saying, after you see the celestial disturbance sign, which as we should learn by now is the herald of the day of the Lord, the judgment is about to come on the earth. People in Revelation 6 hide themselves in rocks saying the wrath of God has come. But what does Luke say to do? He says to lift up your head. And when you see that sign for your redemption draweth nigh. 
there are other instances. Paul in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10 has this sort of dual nature in mind when he says, it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, those who are persecuting you, and to give you who are troubled rest to rescue you from that persecution when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. So he's mixing these metaphors of this day of our salvation with a day of punishment. And in that case, in that day is mentioned as it will be one specific day. We see in 1 Thessalonians 4, where he speaks of obviously the rapture, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of our archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Everybody agrees that's the, that's the rapture, but they, but they don't always notice that in the next chapter, remember chapter breaks are not in the original, they're something that were added later, but it starts in 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 1, talking about what can only be a reference to the same subject, that is to say, the rapture in the previous chapter. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, concerning the times and seasons of the rapture, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And there he goes on to talk about the judgment aspect of it. So because, because for those who are in darkness, the day of the Lord will come upon them as a bad thing, as, a, as an unexpected thing. But for those of us in light, we will have been watching for the signs. We'll, we are knowing, we are hoping and expecting it to happen because we have watched the signs. But more importantly, we will be rewarded on that day. It is a good thing we are to lift up our head uh, because our redemption draweth nigh. So that's one aspect of it, but then it gets into the explicit nature of the same day language. Here is an example from Luke 17, 26 through 30. Then he said to his disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And as it was in the days of Noah, so uh, it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it uh, was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, and they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. It is, it is not too much to say that that parable exists to say that God rescues the righteous and begins his wrath on the wicked on the same day. In other words, that's the whole point of that, is to say that these events happen on the same day. And I know that there's a pre-trib thing that says um, Noah was in the ark seven days before the flood uh, started, which is a complete mess of a lie. And you can easily refute that by just reading what's in Genesis. Uh, Alan Kirshner has a great article about replying to Arnold Fruchtenbaum on that one. But it, but besides the fact that it says it right here, <laughs> besides the fact that Jesus apparently thinks that Noah entered the ark the same day that the flood uh, came uh, and that in the same way that Lot got out of Sodom the same day that the fire and brimstone started. So yeah, to refute the gap theory is to simply do a study of what the New Testament authors believe the day of the Lord to be, which was the rapture, the resurrection, the day of rewards, our blessed hope. But it was also the day that 
the wrath began on the wicked. That it was back to back, which you also can see from those parables saying explicitly that the wrath of God happens back to back with the rescue of the righteous in the Lot and Noahic parables. That seems pretty open and shut. It's the historical view of both pre-tribulationalism and pre-wrath, and the only reason that they have deviated from that is because of the theology of the precursors of the day of the Lord. So the third option for the pre-tribber is to believe that there are in fact two day of the Lords. Now there are different variations of this, and honestly none of them are that fleshed out. Um, the few people, the, the closest to a fleshed out version of this is Renald Showers, and he specifically did this as a rebuttal to the pre-wrath position. He was one of the early guys. He actually knew the Rosenthal's. It was a long story there apparently, but the point is that he actually came up with this specifically to deal with the pre-wrath problem. Uh, and so he's got the, the most detailed uh, but but a lot of people, or I won't say a lot of people, it's a pretty minority view. People like Craig Blazing seem to, and I don't really know, I haven't seen Craig Blazing's exact opinions on this, but just from something he said in the Three Views in the Rapture book in response to Douglas Moo on Joel uh, 2.31, seems to suggest that uh, he said something like the day of the Lord is a complex of events, which is the kind of language you typically associate with somebody trying to say that it's two events. In other words, what they would be saying is basically that there are two day of the Lords, one that starts at the beginning of the seven year period. And some people will say extends throughout the millennium. And the reason they say that is because the event at Gog Magog at the end of the millennium is sometimes referred to as the day of the Lord. Uh, but so they'll extend it that far. But the point is that they at least want to say the entire seven years is the day of the Lord. But in this view, there is also a day of the Lord that seems to be at the culmination of that event. In other words, in their view, Armageddon. So that's the day. The day that Armageddon happens is what they would call the day of the Lord. But obviously they can't get around the fact that there's also a much broader day of the Lord uh, as well, which they would say starts at the beginning of the seven-year period in this example. So in this example, they're not even trying to deal with the fact that you can prove that the day of the Lord occurs after the midpoint. Although they could, if they wanted to do that, they could. They could still keep the two day of the Lord theory. But in, in the people that I've seen that hold this view don't hold it. They, they, they're still sticking to the seven-year period is the day of the Lord view. Uh, but then there's a minor day of the Lord that happens at the end. And this is actually sort of modified from a post-tribulational view. And it basically is in Zechariah 14. So Zechariah 14 is talking about the day of the Lord. And it says a lot of things are going to happen in that day. And if you read through it, you can see that basically it's everything from the beginning of the day of the Lord all the way really through the millennium. Um, that And it keeps referring to in that day, in that day. So you would, you would believe in most circumstances that it's just talking about in the day of the Lord, these events will happen. Certainly it describes events that seem to take a lot longer than one day. There are a lot of events. They occur basically from the beginning of the day of the Lord until the millennium in that day, in that day. The issue is, and this is where post-tribulationalists have uh, made a point, is that in Zechariah 14, verse 7, in the King James Version and in the New King James Version, it says, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. The issue at hand is, but it shall be one day, which shall be known to the Lord. Okay, so now every modern translation has translated that one as unique. The thrust of what's being say, saying there is that not this will occur on one day, but that the day will be unique. Um, 
And this is the way that the, the ESV has it. On that day there shall be no light, cold, or frost, and there shall be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. Okay, so you can come to your conclusion whether you think that the day of the Lord is one day or not. It's almost certainly just one of these translation things, because certainly we know that the day of the Lord is at least five months from the book of Revelation, because the fifth trumpet, the scorpions, last for five months. But do you see what they're trying to do here? The, the, and this is, the, the, if they can make a day of the Lord, because they will agree that the day of the Lord is not one day. The, the day of the Lord is at least, in the pre-trib view, seven years long. But if they can make the day of the Lord be really a reference to just one day, and they would kind of stick that somewhere around uh, Armageddon, just because they basically pick it at random. There's a million things you could pick from in, in Zechariah 14, but they say, ah, there's the olives putting his feet down on the Mount of Olives thing. That, you know, we know that's at Armageddon because that's just what they've always said. But that's just one of many things that happened, quote, on that day. So they've said, well, then there must, then the Armageddon is really the day of the Lord. That's the entire argument. So if they can do that, do you see what that helps them do is that makes them be able to say the precursors that we've all talked about at this podcast, they're just precursors to that second day of the Lord. There are no precursors in their mind to the first day of the Lord that starts off at the seven-year period. Anyway, this is a weak argument. It was a, it was a basically a shot in the dark from Renald Showers uh, to try to deal with uh, the pre-wrath uh, thing early on. It was, again, based on a mistranslation in Zechariah 14, and very few people hold to it. I said Craig Blazing holds to it, and that's probably an insult. I don't, like I said, I don't really know what he holds to. It just sounded like and he didn't really even deal with it in the Three Views book. It just sounded like that's where he was going. But in the long run, he never didn't really have an answer for it. At least he didn't write on it, as far as I know. Anyway, those are the three options for the pre-tribber dealing with the precursors of the day of the Lord. Number one, avoid it. Try to pretend like there are no precursors. Number two, the gap theory. And I honestly think that's the best option, but it's just not an option that's going to hold up. And ultimately, I think that this issue is going to be one of the downfalls of pre-tribulationalism in a good way, not, not in a bad way. That, that It needs to fall, and it needs to fall so that we can all start actually looking for uh, the signs. We don't know the day or the hour, but we are commanded to know the general time and to watch for those signs. Before I end, I wanted to ask your opinion about the name for the documentary, the Pre-Wrath documentary. I haven't come up with a name for it, and that's partly because... I haven't quite decided on the the nature. It's actually kind of complicated because, in a way, I want this to obviously teach pre-wrath, uh, but I, do, I want it to be bigger and more interesting than just a pre-wrath teaching documentary. I want it to have a story, and I think that the story is that pre-trib has a genuine problem, and I want to express that in a loving way. I want it, here's the goal, to be something that a pre-tribber would want to click on. They would see the title or the thumbnail or whatever and say, hey, I need to know what, what's being said there. So, you know, I don't know what that means in terms of title, but it's, it's really a, a, important psychologically because uh, what do you do? How do you, in a lot of ways, trying to convince somebody who doesn't have a reason already to learn about a different position on the rapture. I mean, you guys know, if you've ever been there, that's virtually impossible. Most people change their position on the rapture because they have a reason to. Somebody is is pushing them to do so. Uh, but just a video that is expressing to be from the other side of the aisle on this, I mean, why would anybody click on that? So um, my current thinking is that if I can convey in some sense that there has been 
uh, a change in the last decade or so in pre-tribulationalism, and that they, they have changed the way that they're teaching it at the scholarly level, and because they've recognized the inherent problems fundamentally, and and I think that you could catch somebody up in that first two minutes of the documentary and explain to them the problem, and at the very least, they might stick with you because they want to say, hey, I need to know what these problems this guy says exist are, and just to make sure I am more informed on this topic. That might be a way in. Uh, but anyway, I guess I'm asking anybody out there that has some thoughts on this, some thoughts on the naming of it. Uh, I don't have anything really in my back pocket to give you an example. I, I thought, you know, there are sort of the uh, the more, I guess you could say, flowery or artsy kind of names like the crumbling tower, you know, speaking of pre-tribulationalism. But I think it really needs to be more direct. Obviously, you can do more with the subtitle if it was, for example, not the real title, The Crumbling Tower, How Pre-Tribulationalism is Falling and Pre-Wrath is Rising or or something like that. I don't know. Maybe something like that, the the fall of pre-trib and the rise of pre-wrath, but that gets into the sort of the thing that they would definitely not want to click on. So I don't know. I do think that the subtitle is going to do a lot of the heavy lifting. I know this is really a shot in the dark. I've got some time to figure this out, but I wanted to crowdsource this a little bit just, just to see if anybody had some thoughts on this. Uh, so please, uh, you can get a hold of me a number of ways. You can uh, email me at chris at chriswhiteministries.com. You can uh, get me through Twitter at twitter.com slash prewrathrapture and several other ways. But basically, just go to BibleProphecyTalk.com. Um, also, if you want to check out the website prewrathmovie.com, we haven't really been doing much in terms of fundraising. Again, I'm not really worried about it. We'll get there eventually, um, and it's not a big deal right now. But if you do feel like uh, the end of the year is coming and these uh, donations to this film project and really to anything with Chris White Ministries is tax deductible, uh, so feel free to make a donation there, and my wife sends out all the tax stuff at the end of the year for uh, that. All right. Um, thank you to everybody. Uh, be sure to check out the websites, BibleProphecyTalk.com, PreRefMovie.com, and we will see you next time.